What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. This is episode number three of Island Time. I am Steven Rizzotto, along with Antonio Maffei. And today's guest we have is NBC Bay Area's own Terry McSweeney. Terry, how are you doing? Doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Well, we're excited. And of course, I know the Christmas season is approaching rather quickly. Before we get into things here, is is Christmas shopping for you wrapping up or have you have you started? What's your progress with, with Christmas shopping this year? Have not. Well, wait a minute. I was going to say I haven't purchased one thing, but that's not true. Uh, this week I purchased Christmas cards. So I, I mean, I am just moving down the, moving down the road. Uh, I'm uh, thinking about the people at work and I'm going to get them some, uh, you know, like uh, money orders, uh, that kind of thing. I'll put them in the card and give them to them. And, uh, but other than that, I'm not, I'm not a great, uh, I've never been confused for Santa Claus. All right. Uh, thank you once again, Mr. McSweeney, uh, for agreeing to come on to uh, Island Time. Now, uh, we all know that this Christmas season is uh, a little bit different. Um, so just a quick question. What are your plans for this holiday season? And is there an extra sense of precaution due to COVID-19? Oh, uh, definitely uh, an extra sense of precaution. I mean, that, uh, that bulletin that came out today, did you guys get it too? Uh, it came out with the alert music did you get that thing scared me yeah 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 I, i'm on a phone call and all of a sudden it starts going off and i'm like what's what's this and it was just you know telling us about the covid travel thing uh yeah definitely a sense of uh precaution there my holidays are going to be and I'm, I'm kind of uh i kind of enjoy this it might sound weird uh, i'm going to be working a lot during the holidays i'm going to be working christmas eve christmas night i'm going to be working new year's eve new year's night and the and the you know days before, uh, I'm going to be anchoring the uh, you know the weekday newscast for a few nights down at, uh, at NBC Barry down in San Jose at the studios, and I, I enjoy that. So um, yeah, I'm going to be spending my holidays down there. Christmas morning's going to be kind of cool. My son Jack is uh, in town from uh, UC Santa Cruz, and uh, I'm going to be with him. And his mom and uh, my other son Van is going to be down in LA. He can't join us, but I'm sure we'll do a, a Zoom or FaceTime or something with him uh, down there. It's going to be good. Awesome. And of course, the COVID 19 vaccine is here and it's all over the news and eventually it will be distributed to everyone. It's a, it's a bright, and I think we've heard the, the, the phrase of the light at the end of the tunnel um, after all these long months. How has it been for you reporting? Uh, during this year, I guess it's, you could call it the year from hell. How's it been for you reporting, you anchoring, you covering it here in the Bay Area? Uh, well, we, uh, February, uh, all of a sudden it just, you know, started coming so rapidly into our lives and we all, uh, NBC issued uh, every crew a, uh, a microphone that you could, uh, like an extension microphone, a boom microphone that you could stretch out to six to eight feet away uh that happened uh mass everywhere uh few people very few people being at the station the absolute minimum number of people at the station that's really weird down there it's a huge newsroom and there's like, like nobody there it's that's really strange 
as far as covering this, covering the news, you know, I used to uh, meet with meet up with a photographer at three in the afternoon. I worked a night shift uh, on my reporting nights, which is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'd meet up with a photographer somewhere. I'd get into the the car with him and would drive to wherever we were going to do our story, interview people, uh, do a stand up, uh, do live, whatever. Well, now uh, I drive my car and we go somewhere mutually convenient. And we basically, we generally do, not every time, but many nights, we uh, do, uh, you know, Zoom or StreamYard uh, interviews. Uh, we, if we need to go get some B-rolls, we need to go with the video to go with the story, we drive there and he gets out and shoots it. Uh, but it's really distant everything. And, um, I mean, some nights, he, he, we do the interviews on StreamYard, which is like Zoom, and uh, I uh, we we shoot the interviews. He's not even we're not even in the same uh, town, and we shoot the interviews and grab some uh, file video to go with the story, and I cut my track on my phone and email it to him or text it to him, and he takes it, puts it all together sends me a copy of it to see if I like it, and then we're done. So some nights it's it's really working from home, and I, I don't I don't really like it that much. I, you know, I like to go out and uh, be where the story happened and talk to other people around it. And you never know what you're going to find when you go to a story. Uh, as ninety percent of the story is like being at the scene, and sometimes we don't go to the scene anymore because because uh, of you know COVID precautions. So it's it's really weird, very weird. Plexiglass everywhere at the station, by the way. Everybody's super divided, like you're in a little little tank. Yeah, and uh, those of you that follow uh, Terry on Twitter, notice that he's always filming short clips at the beach, taking photos of the sunset <laughs> and other sights and sounds. Uh, so what are some of the motives behind capturing those uh, important moments? I, I, I love... Uh, I live in Marin, and one of the things about it, uh, I mean, any county in the Bay Area would be just great. The thing about Marin is you got the mountains, you got the beaches, you got the bay. Um, and when I'm out, and sometimes I just see things, uh, I do love nature, and I see things that really uh, impress me and that they move me emotionally. And, uh, and I just put them up there in case someone... Uh, likes it but i didn't had one thing in particular recently i had a, a the the goldest the goldest sunset shot i've ever seen and i i, I got a picture of that and i put it on uh, twitter and uh, facebook and uh i think instagram too and it was just uh it was just stunning to me i mean some people i mean i i do have a theme to my to the most of the videos that i post but when I when I see something spectacular, I, I, I want to share it like the huge waves. Uh, last week, early this week, a uh, golden sunset, just things like that, just amazing. You know, and you were you were talking earlier about the uh, about the notification everybody got, uh, and I I took a picture of that and put that on uh, Twitter, and that one went crazy. I got hundred and something people liking that everybody got it so everybody could relate to it so that was another thing i just recently posted 
Yeah. Uh, at that point, you just got to turn off your phone and <laughs> for a little bit because all the notifications <laughs> go nuts. So um, uh, a big reason we wanted to talk to you today was because your career has been uh, a very storied one and, and your story kind of correlates with the with the field that Antonio and I kind of want to get into ourselves. So just a quick side note, the first time I heard of you was, uh, I think it was last year, Alex Rodriguez's car was broken into. Yes. And yes, indeed. <laughs> I, I took a selfie with A-Rod the night that it happened, a few hours before it happened. And I saw the, I saw the, the report the next day that, that he had got his car broken into and everybody's framing me. I'm like, Oh no, no, no I didn't do it. <laughs> so um, just getting on that on the record, I did not break into Alex's car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't doesn't interest me at all um anyway so uh <laughs> how did you decide to get into uh, journalism and media yourself well uh it started for me um uh eight million years ago uh when i was a kid growing up i used to listen to uh, a lot of rock and roll uh and listen to disc jockeys uh back in the day disc jockeys were like i mean and they they still are to a degree but back then there were fewer stations so every DJ had more of a audience and those, some of those DJs back, back, back long before uh, either of you guys or probably even your parents were alive. <laughs> it was, it was, it was the Beatles and the Stones and uh, KFRC and KYA, KEWB, these stations with these outrageous disc jockeys. So I, I first started thinking, uh, I really like that. And it would be kind of cool to make a living um, playing music and talking about it, you know, that's, it's, it, it, there's a whole lot more to it than that, obviously, but for starters, that sounded pretty good. So I kind of went, I went to a school to get it. I wanted to get a degree. So that would be, you know, kind of open more doors for me. I was at San Francisco state and uh, they had an audition for television news. Now I love television news. My dad was a news junkie. We watched news every single night. We watched uh, ABC. It was uh, KGO TV. It was Van Amberg and Jerry Jensen. Uh, it was John O'Reilly on sports and Pete Giddings on weather. And we watched it every night. And uh, we, then we watched Walter Cronkite over on CBS. Uh, the, I loved the news and uh, we watched it every night, but I, I, was, I didn't know, I didn't know, you know, could I do it? So uh, at San Francisco State, they had an audition for the news station there at San Francisco State. And I auditioned. And it, the, the second I sat down in that chair to audition, I felt like, wow, this is exactly what I'm going to do. It was weird. It was so weird. And it was very, very good for me because I was like, kind of up in the air about, you know, you want to be a DJ, you want to be on radio. I mean, what, you know, is it, what can you really do there? And, you know, da, da, da. so I, at San Francisco State, I sat down and, and there it was, graduated from there, got a job in Reno and uh, been doing it for like uh what, 40 years, something like that. Yeah. That's, a, that's incredible. Now, uh, you're an alumni of St. Ignatius High School, while Stephen yeah. and I are both Reardon guys. Uh, both of us are Crusaders, graduated the class of 2020. Uh, so what was your experience like growing up in San Francisco? Well, well, first of all, the class of 2020, I cannot tell you, I mean, that is so uh, new and fresh and uh, young. I mean, 
the class of 2020. Wow. Uh, I'm the, I graduated from SI, the class of 71. I know, I, and I can't even imagine how old that sounds to you guys. For your I sake, mean, we will not have a reaction to that. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you muted your phones as you were saying, oh my God. <laughs> no, um, I forgot what the question was about about San Francisco back in the in, in the day. Yeah, what was your experience like yeah. growing up in San Francisco? Uh, we, uh, me and my two brothers and my mom and dad lived in an apartment in uh, Presidio Heights. Uh, we went to uh, Our Lady of Victory, Notre Dame de Victoire Grammar School. Uh, took the school bus down there for the first five grades. Uh, we drove. It takes you through uh, the Fillmore District and on downtown. So uh, I have a, a lot of a lot of memories of uh, going through those uh, neighborhoods, uh, getting down to. Uh, I mean, it was basically Chinatown. We were down there on uh, like Pine and Grant, is where where the school is, and um, it was. Uh, I was I was always blown away by the city, by all the people getting on. And then after the school bus, you know, last three years we were getting on the city bus, and they're getting on the Muni. And uh, all the the people, all the different uh, kind of people getting on the buses, uh, it, it was just so exciting to me because uh, where we lived, it was uh, pretty calm. It wasn't, uh, you know, like you go next door, you play basketball at Presidio Heights Playground, or go down and play football or baseball down at the Julius Kahn Playground uh, down the street in the Presidio. Um, I mean, it was a it was pretty calm where I lived, but when you get on the, you got on the bus and the the hustle and bustle of San Francisco, that was that was pretty cool. And in and in 1967, summer of love, I I got, got uh, I started my career at SI, and uh, SI at the time was right there at 222 Stanion Street, which is right near the right near Golden Gate Park. Um, so there was a lot of changing uh, stuff going on. We were all like SI back then, it was like you had to have a collared shirt. Uh, sideburns could not go down more than halfway down your ear. Your hair had to be short. Um, it was a real different scene than what was, what was going on around us in San Francisco. And uh, the the hippie thing hit, and uh, that was that was wild. Just very very different people, uh, different looks, longer hair, uh, and that kind of thing. And uh, I kind of gravitated towards that. I kind of, I kind of uh, liked that they were being different. Like there's a whole different way to be. Um, and uh, my, I started. Uh, I didn't. You couldn't grow your hair long. But when I got out of SI, um, went to Berkeley, and um, I, you know, grew my hair long there, and uh, uh, got into a. Uh, pretty uh not, i can't say radical around here but it was uh it was radical for the uh for what i had been seeing you know at the very conservative as saying nation so you know grew my hair long a lot of us did and uh started um you know looking you know look, looking at things differently yeah and, and it's funny because now we sit here in 2020 and reardon has just started accepting girls and it's co-ed and that tells you how much you know times have changed after 70 years our alma mater is now 
uh, co-ed. So that's pretty incredible. Um, so let's, let's swap over here. So you were, you were in attendance. We were doing some research, uh, research on you, and we found out that you were in attendance at game three of the 1989 World Series, or what was about to be game three at Candlestick Park uh, between yes. the A's and the Giants. Everyone has their yeah. story of, of what happened that day. So how did, how did it occur from, from your point of view? Um, I went there. I was so excited. It was my, it was, well, I covered the, I had covered the first two World Series games and the A's had won them both, but I was working and covered those games. And that was different. This game, I'm there as a fan. I'm there with my girlfriend. We're up there in section 17. Uh, we go up into the upper reserve. Uh, we're sitting there and, uh, you know, I'd been at Candlestick a, 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 a thousand times. I'd, that season I'd been to like, uh, 50 of the home games and the year before I've been to even more. And uh, sometimes that upper deck would, would wobble. It would just kind of wobble. And you, at first you think it's something, but then it wasn't anything. Uh, and, but this time I'm sitting there with her and it starts wobbling. And then it really starts wobbling. It really starts, you're in the upper deck and you, you really realize you're in the upper deck all of a sudden. And I looked up at the press box. They had that plexiglass in front of that huge press box in the upper deck. And it started like, like it was, you thought it was going to like just come out. It just pop out because it was wobbling so much. So she and I got up and we took about four steps and it stopped. And I was thinking, well, that, that wasn't much of an earthquake, but it was, uh, you know, it was a short earthquake. You, you could feel it. So we went back and sat down. We had no idea what had happened. The lights were off at the stadium, but that was such an old, such an old ballpark. You can't be surprised that anything happened. The lights are out. Well, I'm sure they'll, you know, get a new fuse and get it working again. But uh, the lights were off in the scoreboard. Then you look out. You can, you can look out across uh, the stadium. A uh, little bit later on, you can see the smoke coming up from the Marina District. That was scary. But what was more scary in the immediate was we're sitting back down thinking everything was going to be okay because it, it didn't really shake that much. I mean, it really didn't. All of a sudden, this woman behind us who had a TV, she was watching it, battery-powered TV, very state-of-the-art back then. And uh, she goes, oh, my God, the Bay Bridge collapsed. And I go, whoa, it, that was more than I thought. So I look at the, I look at the uh, TV that she had, got behind her, and it, it, it hadn't collapsed, just the, 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 uh, the one section did collapse and it came down and there was a you know, fatality there, it was unfortunately. But when, it, when she said it collapsed, I thought the whole thing had gone and there were like 100 cars in the bay. Uh, so it, yeah, then things just started coming in. Then I saw the black smoke I talked about. Uh, then the players were out in the field with their families and it was just, just kind of getting the feel for how bad it was. Um, then they announced the game has been postponed. Uh, everybody got up and just walked out. It was uh, very orderly. There was no panic. There was no screaming. Uh, and until uh, until the players came out there with their families and they were all kind of sitting there with a certain look, I kind of thought the game was going to be played. I, I mean, I, when I heard the bridge had collapsed and I saw the smoke and the families out there, then I realized that it was far worse than I had felt. And uh, yeah, so that was a, that's a day you could just never, ever forget that. 
Mm -hmm. uh, another day that we will never forget is September 11th. Uh, 2001. You had the chance to report uh, on 9-11 in New York City, uh, which was a complete emotional time for the United States. Um, but you also had the chance to get the pulse of the local reception and the local kind of feel around there. What was that like? Yeah, I was, a, uh, uh, I was living, uh, working in Albany at the ABC station there. And when it happened, they sent me in a live truck with a crew down to New York City. We, we arrived about noon, and uh, you see the smoke just billowing up, billowing up. Uh, we, we, we reported live for uh, six days from uh, Manhattan, um, and it was just, uh, it was stunning. It was, you, you couldn't believe it. Uh, I mean, and nobody was exactly sure what was gonna happen next. There were so many rumors flying uh, that's, you know, there was one rumor, a hot rumor was on that uh, somebody had found a huge uh, vat, a huge uh, cache of explosives underneath, uh, I think it was, I think it was the John Verrazano Bridge, uh, it was the, and the terrorists were going to keep, you know, keep attacking, and all these rumors were swirling, um, and you look up and there's uh, F-14s flying, I mean, right above New York City, I mean, just they were right there. They weren't up in the, uh, where the Blue Angels fly, they were much closer, right down near where you, I mean, you could just flat out really make out that jet. And uh, it was amazing. The, the, the people of New York City, I thought were just uh, remarkably united. It brought them together like I couldn't believe everybody was just on the same page. I mean. Uh, Rudy Giuliani has gone on to uh, quite a bit of controversy since then, but at that time, he was the mayor uh, of New York City, and he seemed to hit all the uh, right buttons, uh, brought the city together. People felt uh, shaken, uh, but uh, resilient, and I, I will never forget the uh, resiliency and the strength of the the people there in New York City with their, with their city, their wonderful city, under such an incredible attack. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that easily, you know, people could have easily turned on the news and, you know, watched Fox or CNN or, or ABC. But local journalism, I feel, is so underrated. It's, it's so important. Do you feel the same way? What is so special? What is so important? about local journalism, you know, you could even touch on that situation in New York, how, how local journalism kind of helped. Uh, and even here in San Francisco, what is the big significance about local journalism? It's, I mean, you, you're seeing, you're seeing sites, you know, you see, uh, you know, like, uh, in, in, there's a, I mean, it, when you talk about it, like you go back to 9-11, uh, the towers were just, such an incredibly uh, important part of that skyline. It was the it was part of the pride of the of the city. It's like if, if they'd flown a uh, a uh, if they'd flown a um, suicide mission into the Trans America Building or the Bank of America. It's like you know that building. It's you you know it. You're you're proud of it. You I mean you didn't you didn't build it or anything. It's just it's just part of your city. It's an important part of your city. It's a beautiful part of your city, and uh, it was taken out and uh, to have people uh, who are familiar with everything about it 
uh, talking about it, you really felt like, you know, in New York City, they felt, oh, yeah, I, you know, I understand it. Do you get it? Um, and, it was, and, they, and they talking about uh, uh, when it when the buildings collapsed, the uh, the cloud of uh, dust went up this street and down that alley. And it was all very, you know, very local. And that's the way I feel about when you do a story out here. Um, you're, you're talking to people about their neighborhood. I mean, I, when I do a story in San Francisco, I mean, I grew up here, uh, you know, born and raised. Uh, you've been all those streets for one reason or another over the years. Uh, you're out in Golden Gate Park in a particular area. Something happened there. I mean, you just you just completely understand it. Um, and uh, when you talk about it, people watching relate to you, and they, you know, there's there's just nothing like it. There's just nothing like local news. And there's just nothing like local newspapers. You know, they're writing about things that are going to impact you. They're going to impact you for sure. Mm -hmm. And now you've had a very long and impressive career in journalism. Uh, so what is one thing that you wish you had known when you began your career in journalism? One thing I wish I had known. Uh, uh, one thing I wish I had known. Well, um, well, I, you know, if you could wish I had known, I was going to say, I wish I knew uh, all the, uh, all the ways to put a, 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 a news story together, uh, it would have saved me a lot of angst <laughs> and a lot of uh, and a lot of time. I mean, you learn it as you go, and you start in a small market where everybody's making the same kind of uh, you're doing it the same way, the same errors, I guess you could say. Uh, I wish I'd known how to put a story together, how to pick the right sound bites. How, you know, you. you I could have uh, I could have done better stories had I known all that stuff, but really, that's one of those things that's just it's going to come with experience. And uh, I paid attention enough to to make a career out of this. Um, you know, learning from uh, maybe I should have uh, really opened my eyes to the, the uh, to others in the market. Look at the other reporters and anchors. I did to a degree. Maybe I could have done it more, especially the reporters, because there were some great reporters every step of the way in my career, from Reno to uh, Sacramento uh, to uh, West Palm Beach to uh, New York. You know, it's, there were great reporters in those markets. And as I went along, I paid more attention to them to see how they, they did things. I you know, kind of picked something from here and from there in a particular situation, I could use that. Um, so maybe if I, you know, if I'd been uh, my eyes open and checked out the competition more earlier in the career, that might've been a good thing to do. Yeah, and of course, people often view the media as unreliable, you know, bogus. And I, I think the thing that I've heard, you know, in recent years, fake news. I mean, you hear it all the time. Fake news. What yeah. is, what is, and it, it does exist. That's the sad thing about it. Uh, so what is one maybe myth about your profession that maybe you, you would like to debunk? Well, if you're talking about fake news, um, 
you, when you have, when a new story occurs, they send a reporter out to that story. And that reporter comes from somewhere and she uh, or he uh, has a particular set of life experiences. Uh, and you cannot divorce yourself from who you are. Uh, if you go to a story and you are from a uh, uh, kind of, you know, an upscale part of town, everything was pretty cool, uh, dad worked, you know, mom worked, everything was good at home, you know, that kind of thing. And you, you can get into journalism and you can, you, you, you kind of approach the story with like, everything's cool, what's wrong here? Someone who's from a, uh, from a uh, uh, high crime part of town, where home life was not so good, where there was, uh, you know, they not only were in a high crime part of town, they, they, they were around it and they saw it. They saw the you know, results of those crimes and people being chased and you know, da, da, da. Uh, you're sending individuals out to these stories with a completely different set of, of experiences and, and training, really. Nobody has the same training, experiences, um, upbringing, number of years of experience. Everything's different. What markets have you worked in? Uh, you know, and so when you get out, when you're watching these people, um, kind of keep an open mind. This is what they're seeing. This is what they're reporting. This is who they interviewed to get the story, to round out the story. And this is their, this is their presentation. It's them. You know, they, there's a part of them doing this. They're, they're objective and they're journalists, but they're from a certain set of circumstances. You watch the same story on our station and also on, you know, CBS 5 or Cron or Channel 2, wherever, um, you will see that it's the same story, but you'll be getting a different perspective depending on who's out there. So, I mean, people at home have got to understand there's not one, there's really not one story to tell. You've got to, you've got to tell the story, you know, the the mayor announced today that he's, you know, getting rid of this guy who worked for him for years. And, oh, there's some controversy about that. Well, how much time do you spend on the, the firing? What it's going to do to the mayor? What it's going to do to the person who got fired? Who's going to take that place? Who's, in, who's putting pressure on the mayor already to take that place? I mean, there's a lot of ways to, to do it. Uh, and you got to just, you know, understand that, you know, you got some information. You didn't get all the information. But you got some information from one of our TV reporters, and uh, we, you know, also I'll tell you something else. We're given a minute, thirty to two minutes to tell the story, so you're going to get a story of what happened, and you can you can uh, dig deeper uh, if you really want to know. But uh, you won't see you won't see that much. You'll see occasionally, you know, false presentation but uh for the most part it's um people who are doing their best in a try you know and there are sometimes uh tight deadlines and uh, some people don't want to talk to you and you need to hear from them and they don't want to talk to you and, um you're up against the wall sometimes so it's a difficult job and everybody's bringing their own perspective and uh I, when I hear fake news, I think of Donald Trump because he's the guy who said it the most. I think he said it was, you know, fake news, fake news. Um, the news wasn't telling his reality, and that's what he didn't like. 
So I think a lot of the times he said fake news. It was like, you could have told my, my side of that story more, but that's really not his call to make. Uh, now you've contributed to both platforms of journalism. Uh, what would you say personally is the biggest, biggest difference between broadcast journalism and print journalism? Uh, print will give you far more, far, uh, far more. I mean, uh, there was a anchor here in the Bay area over at, uh, KGO TV. Pete Wilson is a, a legend and he, uh, he, he held up uh, the front page of a newspaper one time. And he said, he goes, maybe it wasn't the front page because got, they got that headline banner, but a page of a newspaper one time. And he said, there's more, there's more time-wise, more news on this page than we will have in a half-hour newscast. Because in a half-hour newscast, you know, you got uh, – four or five two-minute breaks for commercials, uh, three minutes is weather. Uh, at the end of this you know, show, they have a kick or something like. Uh, so you, get a, get, you boil it down, and you have excellent number of minutes of news in a half-hour newscast. Um, when it comes to print journalism, like newspapers, which are kind of fading, which is unfortunate, I, um, you, uh, you get a lot more, a lot more depth. Um, from print journalism uh, than you do under, under regular old newsday, you know, everyday story than you would from, from television. On the other hand, at our station, we have the investigative unit and uh, we have uh, Garvin Thomas and we have uh, Joe Rosado Jr. All of these people are given more time, more time, and the, in, the investigative unit is given a lot of time to dig, dig, dig into stories and find out what's going on. So we do, we do do uh, investigative journalism. Garvin Thomas does Bay Area Proud, which is you know uh, something. It really does make you feel proud. Some of these stories are just incredible. Uh, they make you laugh. They make you cry. And I'm not kidding. Um, Joe Rosado Jr. is always looking into like nuanced, uh, very you know different kind of offbeat stories. It's very cool. So we do spend some more time than a minute thirty or two minutes. On, uh, on those kind of stories. Uh, but every day, day-to-day story, you'll get more out of, uh, you, you would get more depth and more digging from, uh, from the Chronicle on a story, for example, than you might from a TV station. Yeah, and, and Rosado Jr. thankfully did not investigate Steven Rosado for breaking into A-Rod's car, which again, I have to, I did not do it, I'm innocent. <laughs> I. Uh, you know, he had a lot of stuff in there for for some odd reason. I mean, next time he comes or, you know, I don't even know if he will ever come and do a game again, um, which yeah, <laughs> that's such an interesting thing. <laughs> so we're going to end it here on, on, on some rapid fire. We have some rapid fire questions for you. This should be a lot of fun. Uh, so first thing that kind of comes to your mind, and Antonio has the first one. Let's take it away, Antonio. What is your favorite place outside of the Bay Area? Uh, Hawaii. What did Terry McSweeney have for breakfast this morning? He had a bagel with cream cheese and a, uh, a um, not a cupcake, but a uh, muffin uh, from a, uh, and a cup of coffee from a bakery in Point Ray Station, California. 
That's good. Uh, who would play Terry <laughs> McSweeney in a movie? Oh boy. <laughs> uh, Steve Rosado. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if he wasn't available, uh, uh, oh boy. So it, my favorite actor is uh, it's either uh, probably Tom Cruise. That that's a yeah. I could definitely see Tom Cruise playing you in a movie, for sure. I could see him with the microphone on scene in the news van. Yeah, I can picture it all right now. <laughs> uh, I would, I would die. <laughs> that would be that would be great. Uh, so last one here. What is the first thing that you have on your bucket list? To build a cabin up on our property in. Inverness. That's long-term bucket list. You mean like real short-term? You could do either. It, uh, to build a cabin, uh, to build a cabin up on our property in Inverness. Good That's answer. The Good long-term. Answer. Yeah. Short-term is to, oh, cool. short-term is to be on your podcast again. <laughs> yeah, this was a lot of fun for sure, and. Uh, <laughs> No doubt. We'll, we'll definitely have you on again. This was a lot of fun. Terry, I appreciate the time. I know you're a busy guy. Um, I'm glad we got it on, on try number two. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Keep up yeah. the great work. Um, we'll be watching. And uh, I, I, I know you mentioned you're working on uh, Christmas week. So enjoy that. Enjoy the holiday season. And thanks for coming on. Thank you both very much for having me. I appreciate you thinking of me. I really do. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Terry McSweeney, everybody. You can follow him on Twitter at Terry McSweeney, T-E-R-R-Y-M-C-S-W-E-N-E-Y. That was a lot there, but I, I got it. <laughs> uh, and of course, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast. Thank you guys for watching and have an unbelievable rest of your day. Happy holidays and stay safe.